In John chapter 13, verses 36 through 38, and finish this chapter this morning. John 13, 36 through 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where do you go? Jesus answered him, where I go, you are not able to follow me now, but you will follow me, or you will follow afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why am I not able to follow you now? I will lay down my life on your behalf. Jesus answered the question. You will lay down your life on my behalf? Amen, amen, I say to you. The cock, King James, the rooster will not crow until... You have disowned me three times. Father, I pray that the text would be profitable for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Three points, the middle point being the most lengthy of the three. Promise, presumption, and prophecy. Promise, presumption, and prophecy. The title kind of goes more with the first point, the title of the message, Unwillingness to Deal with Truth is Costly. Mankind has this weird ability to hear truth for an extended session and immediately discard it and talk about the weather. You do that to prevent yourself from wrestling with the truth that God just told you. So when you get truth unfolded in preaching for your best interest at heart, think about it. Ask what it means and how does it apply to me? How can my life be changed based on what I've heard today? Because if it doesn't have any effect upon you, it's pretty much just wasted. All right, very short intro. We have been learning, chapter 13 as a whole, which is the farewell discourse. This is the section of what we call the farewell discourse. We've been learning much of the Lord Jesus Christ. Specifically, he has shown them the clear example of what it means to love one another. It's real simple. That's what you learn in chapter 13, how to love one another. We learn that by example, washing people's feet. Prideful, selfish, and even traitors' feet. So we have an example from the second person of the Godhead washing Judas's feet and washing the feet of the guys who are trying to figure out who's the greatest. He has shown them how to love an enemy. And he has taught them the truth in John 13. He's taught them the truth of divine election and the certainty of the Old Testament Scripture coming to be true, even if it's written all the way back in the book of Psalm. He has identified the traitor, and the traitor is gone. And we got reduced down to 11 in the room. And with 11 in the room, 
we heard two verses five times about his glory. Okay, and so we, they, they, only the 11 got to receive that. And then he concluded that section with his glory saying, Now, I'm giving you a commandment. It's a new commandment, but it's, it's just like the old commandment. We talked about that. But here's the commandment. This is the conversation. I want you to get this. You must love one another. That's Jesus to these 11. Here's the command. You must love one another. How are we going to love one another? Just as I have loved you. Now, if you'll love one another like I'm telling you, then the whole world will know you're my disciples. Are we all on the same page? The next thing that ought to be said is, well, Lord, how can we love like you love? That's contextually right. That's, Jesus just says that, so my response would be, how can we then love like that? I don't know if I can pull this off, Jesus. I'm going to need some help. That's what I'm expecting to hear. But that's not what we hear. Verse 36, look at it again in your text. Simon Peter says to him, Lord, where do you go? Where do you go? I'm telling you to love one another. Yeah, but somewhere back up earlier, you said you were leaving and we couldn't come. Peter is hung up on his personal relationship and what he might lose if Christ isn't around him anymore. And so he ignores the clear command that is given to his heart and pursues the separation in a relationship that's more interest to his self-serving flesh. That's what he does. Well, Lord, where do you go? Peter, what are you, we're supposed to be talking about love. Peter has, he's going all the way back to verse 33, and he's skipping verses 34 and 35. Okay, you see that in the text, right? Now, I just want to remind you from this section and this transfer into verse 36, I just want to remind you that church people do this all the time. Okay, it works like this in a church uh, that I know. For 45 minutes, the exposition is on propitiation. It's a grand subject. Christ substituting and absorbing the wrath of God in my place. So you preach for 45 minutes on propitiation. What's the first conversation the pastor has after he gets done? You know, I don't think they have a right to mandate vaccines. Did I say anything about vaccines? In the next conversation, well, people don't wear masks. They don't love me. 45 minutes on propitiation, and we're talking about mask. What happened here? Let's talk about the sermon that was preached. It happens here, even in our own church. You have a whole sermon on love, and the first conversation is about what? It's about the weather, or it's about the football game, or it's about flowers, or it's about something else, or it's about the truck, or the car, or the bicycle, or something like this, because we're not willing to grapple with the truth that is being preached. We want to push it off to the side. You preach for 45 minutes on the love of God and loving one another, and people say stuff like this, well, what do you believe about end times? What, what, do, you, what do you mean what I believe about end times? I haven't even talked about end times all week. 
Let's, let's stay contextual here. So like later, we're going to go back there, and we're going to eat lunch, and we sit down to eat. Don't ask me if my view is amillennial, postmillennial, or premillennial. My view is this. Jesus gave a promise. Don't be presumptuous, and there's a prophecy. Let's talk about that, because that's what we're talking about today. Amen? Okay. So today, we will emphasize presumption in a moment more than anything else. So when we go to eat, we can have conversations like this. Are you guilty of presumptuous sins? How could we do better and not be presumptuous? What ways could we improve? Hey, what have you tried that kept you from being presumptuous? This is what I've done to keep from being presumptuous. And we have a conversation about the text that is being preached. Now, back to the text, verse 36, destination reminder. Jesus reminds Peter that he does not have the ability. He doesn't have the ability he does not have the power, dunamis. That's the word you get in Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of God. It has to do with ability. And Jesus is reminding Peter that he does not have the ability or the power to be able to follow Jesus right now. Now, Jesus' departure, if that's what Peter wants to talk about here, his departure is to heaven. We talked about that last week. But the way he's going to get there is via a cross. It's a redemptive course. Now listen, this is going to come back up. This path Jesus is walking is redemptive. It's the cross, the purchase of sinners. Nobody else can walk this path. You would have to be perfect, sinless in word, thought, and deed. You'd have to be a spotless lamb to walk this course to be a sacrifice. And Jesus is saying, no one else can do this. Only Jesus can take this route. To accomplish the redemption of man, perfection is required. Neither Peter nor anyone else in the whole world can walk this journey to heaven. It must be walked for you. Okay? There's a verse I often refer to. It's one of my favorite in this discussion. It's Psalm 49. Psalm 49 says this in regards to redemption and one dying for another, that whole concept. In Psalm 49, 7, truly no man can ransom another. I can't ransom you, and you can't ransom me. Why not? Because it's costly. It's very costly. How much does it cost? It costs perfection. It costs divine blood. It costs a substitute. It costs the Godhead, if you will, to substitute. It takes a great valuable price to redeem sinful humanity, and I can't pay for you because I can't even pay for myself. You see, in this problem of redemption is, I can't even redeem me, much less you, so I'm going to need someone outside of myself to be able to pay this ransom. And that's where we find Jesus saying, you don't have the ability, you don't have the power to walk this course to heaven. Now you can follow later, but you will have to follow on my merit. Completely. The only way anybody in this room, including the preacher, is going to glory is on the merit of another. That's the promise. 
You can go, and of course, Jesus knowing all things, I, I can't speak this way, but Jesus can. He can look at Peter and say, you will follow me. I, don't, I can't speak for you. I'm not God, and I can't see your heart and all of those types of things. But if you're a believer, you've repented of your sins, you've believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been baptized, you profess Christ in faith, if that's you, you will go to glory. When you die, you'll wake up in glory and you'll have no regrets. If Jesus comes back and breaks the eastern sky and the trumpet resounds and that happens today, you're going to be one happy camper because you're going to get caught up together and you're going to meet the Lord in the air and we're going to rejoice for all of eternity, not because we see golden streets and no more sickness. We're going to rejoice because we're going to see him who died for us. His, his glory is going to be placarded before our very eyes and we're going to be caught up in glory and it's all going to be worth it. It's a promise. It's going to happen. Everybody in Christ is going home. It's a promise. I don't think it's sin to ask a question. Not at all. Where do you go? That's what Peter asked. I don't think this question is a sin. I think we should bring all of our questions to the Lord. But if you're asking questions in order to ignore or escape the clear word of God, you're in danger. If you're asking questions because you don't want to deal with the obvious truth in the room, that's a revelation of your heart. You're trying to avoid it because it's convicting. You're like, I don't want to talk about that, and I don't want to hang out with people who talk like this because they make me uncomfortable. Now, if that's the case, that would be a dangerous place to be. Now, you say, well, I'm not real good at talking about the Bible, I'm not good at talking about these things. Fine, I understand that. Let me give you some advice. Just one point of counsel, we go on to verse 37. The only way to learn to talk about the truth of God's Word is to talk about the truth of God's Word. That's how you learn. You just began talking and you say, well, I don't know everything. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Who does know everything? And we talk together. Try it today. Ask questions about the sermon to one another. Suggest ways to obey the sermon. Express what you've learned and, and express what you will attempt to apply. This is what I'm going to do with the message today. I'm going to live without depression today. Well, how are you going to do that? Because when the pastor preached, he said that if I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven. And so that gives me hope. So why am I going to be in darkness when I have that type of hope? And that's the way I'm going to apply the sermon today. I'm going to live with hope because one day Jesus is coming for me. We could do that and have that conversation. Maybe we'd encourage one another a bit. Number two, presumption. Verse 37. Peter says to him, Lord, why am I not able to follow you now? And then he makes this crazy statement. We'll talk about it. Uh, I laid out my life on your behalf. Presumption is where we're headed. Presuming what? Peter is presuming a fact that does not exist. What's the fact? In his mind, the fact is he'll lay down his life. He presumes that's what he will do in the future. So in this text, Peter is presuming on his own ability. 
which is kind of fascinating because in a text where he's presuming on his own ability, he's doing so with Jesus who is saying he's not able. So Jesus says you're not able, and Peter responds with presumption saying, with my ability, this is what I'll do. Dangerous. People presume on their own ability, and many of us, including the preacher, presume upon God. Okay, so just setting the stage. Questioning the truth kind of reveals the heart. Here's this decisional trouble that Peter is dealing with. By the way, what he should respond, when the Lord gives a clear command, when the Lord says something very directly, I'll give you some great counsel here. When you have a clear truth from Scripture, here's a better way to respond. Yes, sir, Lord. Wherever you lead, I'll go. Whatever you'll say, I will do. You're in charge, and I'm not. You're the authority. I'm the submissive one here. Yes, Lord. You, you get clear. There's a lot of things in Scripture that are just clear. You know what people do? They argue about stuff that's not clear. They get in all these weird discussions and get on all this stuff. It's like, I've got enough in this book that I understand that I can't waste all my life trying to figure out the things nobody can understand. But there's plenty of clarity here. And so if you taking conversations and questions to avoid, it's very, very dangerous. It'd be better to take the clear commands and say, yes, sir. I'll, I'll set my heart to love my brother because that's what you've commanded me to do. You don't have to have a Greek education. You don't even have to go to seminary to figure this out. Love one another. How? Wash people's feet. That ain't no fun. He didn't ask if it was fun. He just told you that's the way you love one another. Now, presumption. Here's decisional trouble. Presumption. Webster's Dictionary defines it this way. Audacity, an attitude of belief dictated by probability. I'm going to make my decisions because this is probably what's going to happen. Really? Are you sure it's going to happen? Well, I'm not sure, but I'm going to go ahead and make this decision anyway. Dangerous business. Presumption assumes facts that do not necessarily exist. Let me give you an example. It works like this. This is a simple example. Johnny's there. So Johnny Eversole says, hey, man, let's eat lunch, dude. So we go out, and we meet the store, and we eat lunch, and you know, we order everything, you know, and it's all cool. And uh, they bring the bill, and he looks at me, and I look at him. I say, dude, I forgot my wallet. I, I don't have my wallet. I'm presuming what? A fact that may or may not exist. I'm presuming Johnny will pay since I don't have no money, Right? I presumed upon him. But listen carefully. This is what happens. When you do a presumption like that, you negate grace and you imply obligation. I took away the grace because I don't have my wallet and I've made it on him. He feels guilty if he doesn't pay. But let's change the scenario. Let's say I call Johnny and I say, Johnny, let's eat lunch. I'm buying and so we go, and I say to him, look, get anything you want on the menu. I don't care what it is. I'm buying, and I got a lot of money, so just enjoy yourself. Super. Everything's clear. Everything's out in the open. He orders. I order. We get all of our food. Somewhere in the process, I have to go to the bathroom. I go to the bathroom. I come back, and we finish up and say, where's the bill? And Johnny says, I paid it. Are you kidding? Dude, thank you so much. Why? Now it's become Grace. 
He didn't have to pay. I said I was paying. And he just all of a sudden did it because he wanted to. And then my heart is filled with joy because of the grace of him paying. Is everybody following this? We do this with the Lord. That's where it gets difficult. We presume upon God that God must do something for us. Well, God has to forgive me. Does he now? And we negate grace and we imply obligation. Even worse yet, all these conversations about free will, you know, everybody wants to have free will, but we say God has no choice, he has to forgive me. So you're going to rob God of free will to keep your own and say, well, you know, I can do this or I can do this because God's gracious and he has to forgive me. Presumption is very dangerous. I would suggest a biblical illustration to you. Let me give you this one. I don't know where, it's in the Bible somewhere. So there's this Canaanite woman, and she doesn't presume upon Jesus. She comes to Jesus and just pleads for mercy. And the Lord says, look, we don't give the food to the dogs. And she's like, I don't care. If I could just have a crumb, just have mercy. She didn't presume anything, and then the Lord meets her request and blesses her. I tell you, on that day, she received grace, and her heart is flooded with joy. That's far different than making what Jesus does obligatory. Think it through. Now, let's talk about presumption for just a moment, because every reference I seem to find is negative. You remember... Samuel the prophet, and you remember Saul, the first king, right? There's a line in there that Samuel says to Saul. He says, presumption is an iniquity and an idolatry. To presume these things is an iniquity and an idolatry. That doesn't sound like good stuff. Or in 1 Samuel 17, 28, you got a, a brother. His name is Eliab. Eliab, E-L-I-A-B, Eliab. And he's out at war, and David's back at home, right? And his father sends him to take food and check on his brothers. David's just doing what he's supposed to do. Eliab has assumed that David is presumptuous. And he says, I know why you came out here. You presume that if you came out here, we'd let you see the battle. He says, I know the presumption and the evil of your heart. You didn't come to check on us. You only wanted to see the front lines for your own self-gratification. That's what Eliab says to David. And then the blessed chapter, Psalm chapter 19. We won't do the whole chapter, but David says this in Psalm 19, very clearly. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Don't, Lord, keep me from presuming upon your grace. Keep me from presuming upon your character. I don't want to live with a God who is obligated. I, I want to live in a position that it's all grace and that at your freedom, you can bless me however you want to bless me. I don't want to presume upon you. That's what David says. And then you have Deuteronomy and Nehemiah, let me give these clips. He says, acting presumptuously, 
in Deuteronomy, you say, how bad is presumption? If you act presumptuously in Deuteronomy, you know what the penalty was? Death. It was the death penalty. And I would also say in Deuteronomy, a false prophet is not to be feared. Why is he not to be feared? Because he's got some words from somewhere that he assumed to be factual that are not factual, making him a false prophet. You don't have to fear him because his words won't come true. And then in Nehemiah, Nehemiah reveals that the nation of Israel acted presumptuously, and their actions were concluded as rebellious. Presumption is a very dangerous sin. Back to the context, John 13, right? Washing feet, food, drink, nice environment, Jesus and the eleven. Words of wisdom, making a decision after eating a full meal and enjoying sweet fellowship and hearing great teaching can be dangerous. That's what Peter did. Had a good meal, had a good drink, good fellowship with brothers in Christ, sitting at the feet of Jesus, and caught in the moment of this protected little time away from the world He makes bold assertions. I'll follow Christ to the end of the world. I'll lay down my life for you. It's a little bit dangerous to make resolved decisions about your life in the comforts of a closed-in room. Yeah, I'm going somewhere with it. It's so dangerous that the churches at large in the world have used this to pad numbers and fill their churches with false converts. Get everybody in the room, dim the lights, turn on the smoke machine, give the right of music and the right emotion, and then plead with an emotional tear-jerking story to get people to come down to the front of the church, and they make a decision to follow Jesus, and they don't even know who he is. And they walk out, Christian, and live like hell till they die and go. It's dangerous business. You say, what should we do in a closed-in environment separated from the world? We should listen to the truth of God's Word. We should meditate upon what is preached. We should read this, and then at home, on our knees before God, we should work through this and respond to Him in obedience to what the Spirit shows us from it. Rash, quick decisions on a full tummy can be dangerous. It could cause somebody to be presumptuous. I'll be here. I'll serve. I'll do this. Yeah, if something comes up, oh, I'll give. I'll go. Boom, but it's so quick. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Do you now? Think it through. I'd rather you say, look, pastor, let me pray about it for a week. Let me search the scriptures for a little while. Let me come to a resolved position. And then brother, when I give my word, it's my bond. If I give you my word, pastor, if I, you say this to another brother, brother, if I give you my word, unless Jesus comes back or I die, it's going to happen. But make sure you've thought it through. Don't just randomly make decisions because it's dangerous to make a vow and not fulfill it. Now, on a side note a little bit, but we got time. I know this is not what Peter means. But it is theological absurdity, is it not? Do you see the theological absurdity to the statement? Peter, listen to me. Peter, you know Peter, sinful Peter, right? Rash Peter. He's going to lay his life down on behalf of Jesus. Excuse me, but Jesus doesn't need a sacrifice. Jesus doesn't need redemption. 
You have the sinner laying his life down for the perfect lamb. Now, I know that's not what he means, but he does use the Greek word huper. And huper gets used in great texts like in Galatians. Cursed is everyone who is hanged upon a tree, you know, in our stead, in our place. Or huper shows up in the book of Genesis chapter 22. And, and you have a ram instead of his only begotten son, Isaac, you know, in the place of for redemption. And here's Peter using that word huper to say, I'll substitute my life for Jesus. That's absurd. Now, I know that's not what he means, but that's what he says. And Jesus responds with this question. You would really lay down your life on my behalf? Now, that's funny. Because I don't need your blood, and I don't need your sacrifice. But I get it. I understand what Peter is saying. I think Peter is just saying, look... Christ is my hero and I'd do anything for you. I think that's all he's saying. I don't think he's implying redemption, but it is quite humorous to me. Now, disturbing application. Here's the problem for Peter. Peter uh, presumes on his own will and his own ability. Peter makes himself obligated to do that which he's not able to do. And look how embarrassing it is. The bold, brash, confrontational Peter disowning Jesus because a little woman servant girl says, weren't you with him? You see his ability just crash? Don't presume on your own ability. Here's what we do. I will never do that. Really? Is that true? I, I would never be like, really? You might all read, read Galatians 6.1 again because that thing could happen to you just as it could to him. Well, I would never get into pornography. Really now? I, I would never get into embezzlement. Are you sure about that? Because there's a lot of churches going through embezzlement cases. Well, I would, I would never leave my church. Really? Join the 50,000 that have already left. Well, I would... Don't presume own your ability. You say, what should I do? <laughs> this is my intention, and by the grace of God, I'll make it. But if God doesn't carry me through, I don't have much chance of making it. Put all your dependence on God. Put all your trust on God. Put everything upon Him and say, I need Him to guard me. I need Him to defend me. I need Him to carry me. Look, I'll be real honest. Right now, at this stage in my life, this many years of Christianity, this many years of studying the Bible, if this day I start presuming on my abilities, I will fail tomorrow. I don't have that strength. I didn't gain it on my own. Unless the Spirit of God sustains me, I cannot sustain myself. Do you understand? You don't, you don't get a pass because you're a Christian for 10 years. We can't self-sustain. We're dependent creatures. I need Jesus as much today as I did when I was 10 16, 25, 35. I can't live in my own flesh because it's corrupt. Don't presume on your own ability. And by the way, don't rob yourself of grace. Do not obligate yourself to that which you cannot accomplish. Lastly, verse 38, we'll finish this chapter. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for, um, on my behalf? Amen, amen, I say to you, the rooster, the cock will not crow till you have disowned me, denied me three times. Jesus is amazing. 
but I just want to bring out the obvious truth here. Jesus controls the actions of all animals. I don't agree with Calvin on a lot of different things, but I agree with him on this statement. There's not one maverick molecule in the entire universe. God's sovereign over everything. There's no random chance, and there's no blind luck, none of this stuff. God is sovereign over all things. God is so sovereign, he can tell you what will happen before the rooster crows, meaning that the rooster will crow exactly when he tells it to crow, and it will not crow until other things that he said will happen, happen. He can silence the crow of the rooster until time permits Peter's denial. He's that sovereign. It's amazing to me also in Scripture that animals seem to always obey where humans seem to not obey. You remember, think about, have you ever been to the ocean? Anybody here ever been to the ocean? Any ocean? Anybody? Okay. Everybody just got saved. Wow, that's great. No. So you, you go to the ocean and you look out, and it's worse. If you get in a boat and go out there about four or five hour journey and you're out there and all you can see is water. It's all you can see. And you fall out of the boat, and at that exact moment, the right-sized fish comes by to swallow you. What are the odds? Better than average. Because God told the fish where to be at what time, and he was there. Right? I mean, he controls animals that way. Here you go. Here's a guy out in the middle of nowhere. There's no McDonald's. There's no fast food. A lot of you people in this church would die. There's no fast food. And you got nothing to eat. And God says to a raven, my servant's hungry. Take him some food. The raven takes some food over to Elijah. He has something to eat. All of them controlled by the sovereignty of God. Do you understand that a sparrow does not fall from the sky apart from the will of your father? Not one bird can fall apart from the sovereign will of God. He sustains all of his creation. And the rooster will not crow. Until Peter says what he's going to say. Now, what is he going to say? This is the last phrase. Until you should have disowned, denied me three times. I keep saying the word disowned because I like it better. Here's what the Greek word means. To disclaim association with a person. I have no association with that man. Or, you know, it's like people get offended. If you get offended at your church, you know, so you leave your church, and somebody says, hey, aren't you a member of By the Word Baptist Church? I don't have nothing to do with that church. We say, that's how we say it. We disown them. We don't want any connection with that group or with the person. That's why it's staggering to me. Peter, having walked three years with Christ, sat at his feet, done ministry together with him, side by side, and here he is saying, I have no association with Christ. I disown him. I've written him off. I've left that group. I have no ties left whatsoever. You say, how in the world can Peter say that? He presumed on his own ability. Be careful. You can do the exact same thing. Imagine that a day would come that you would say, I don't know Christ. I have nothing to do with that man. You say, you say be careful. You say, I would never be careful. I would never do that if Christ continues to carry me and sustain me. But if I'm left to myself... 
I could walk away just as well as anybody. I can sit here and give you names all morning, but we ain't doing that. I can give you names of pastors and ministries that have failed, that have walked away, that have given up on the whole thing and have nothing to do with the Lord anymore. They were guys that preached and taught and read scriptures and memorized scriptures. You say, what happened? Apart from the grace of God, there go I. Peter's presumption of devotion is shattered by divine prophecy. Peter is willing, but his own will is not sufficient for the task at hand. Well, Jesus' words are more powerful than man's words. Agree? This is what's going to happen. Whatever Jesus says happens. Jesus' prophecy is accurate, and Peter's presumption is faulty. Peter has assumed facts he has no ability to produce. Now, for us, we're, we're finishing here. We're going to be done for 12. Learn from the accuracy of the promises of God not to presume on your own ability lest you be found wanting in the end. Note, these three verses, reminder, I'm bringing you back. These three verses deviated us from the context. We're supposed to be talking about loving one another. We just chased a rabbit. When we, This rabbit is now done. Now let's return back to the context. Chapter 14, verse 1. I go to prepare a place for you. He's still loving them. So he returns the subject. This has been a deviation. The love of Christ will continue on. And I'm learning from this, and I hope you're profiting from this not to negate the clear context and talk about something else and be unwilling to deal with the truth God has laid before you. It can be in Sunday school. It can be in your morning Bible readings. It can be in a catechism question. But take the context of the truth of Scripture and say, Lord, how can I respond rightly to what you've said? So I ask a few questions Are you a person who presumes on the promises of God? Are you a person who presumes on your own intentions or abilities? Presumption is a sin and a self-destructive course of action. Do not presume that God must let you in heaven. Oh, well, surely He'll let me in. How do you know that? Well, I mean, God's gracious. I agree. That doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Well, God's merciful. I agree. But it doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Well, I'm a pretty good person. I don't know if I agree or not. But whether I agree or not doesn't matter. Your goodness is not going to be enough to redeem or ransom your own life. Don't presume your abilities or your whiteness or your Americanness or your whatever it is, your walletness or your good works or whatever it may be. Don't presume that those things will get you to heaven. That you're assuming facts that don't exist. Work with truth unless a man repent, unless a man is born again, unless a man believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, he will go to hell regardless of his heritage, regardless of his genealogy. Don't presume. Look in your heart. Examine yourself. Are you a man, a woman, a boy, a girl, a child who has repented of your sin, believed upon Christ Jesus, confessed him publicly, and follow him? If not, you have no assurance you're going to heaven. Do not presume Understand there are countless millions in hell on the same of presumption. It'd be far better 
to be like that Canaanite woman. Simply recognize your sinfulness. Lord, please have mercy on me. You don't owe me. I haven't gained it. I'm just asking as a beggar, would you please give me mercy? That's what I'm asking. You say, well, how long do I pray that? Till you get mercy. You go, how will I know when I get it? <laughs> Dude, it's not that complicated. It's really not. <laughs> how did I know when I fell in love with this woman? When I saw her. I don't have a theological explanation. There's 8 billion people in the world, and I saw her, and I was done. It's the same with Christ in that sense. How do you know when you got mercy? One day I saw him. I'd be like Spurgeon. And I looked, and I looked, and I looked, and I looked, and I could have looked my eyes out. Just, he just got, fell in love with the beauty of Christ, and he was never the same. That's the way it works. Brother Jeff, lead us in song, please.